As is my custom when it's my opportunity to give the sermon, I like to go over some signs of the times. Um, one of the signs of the times is the cultural changes that are happening, especially in North America, in Europe, and other parts of the world. And I happened to catch a radio program that was talking about a special conference that was held in Georgia. But this is not the state of Georgia in the United States, it's the country of Georgia. Do you have any idea where the country of Georgia is? Yeah, it's one of the former countries or states of the Soviet Union. It's south of the Soviet Union and north of um, Armenia. And in this conference, it had brought people from all over the world, and the conference was about homosexuality. And all of these attendees were in favor of what was happening in Russia. And if you are aware of it, Russia has laws against homosexuality, and they're very strict laws. And there's this huge group of all these people from all these nations that were all in agreement with the position that Russia was taking. And I bring this to your attention as a sign of the times because we see these conflicts of culture going back and forth. Some cultures are giving more and more of the rights to homosexuality and others' cultures are reacting very aggressively against it. History has a way of swinging a pendulum, meaning things will go just so far in one direction and then the weight of the pendulum swings it back, sometimes if it's high enough, violently the other way. And what we may be seeing is that there's going to be a violent reaction to what is happening in many other cultures. There is, in keeping with that, some of you are well aware of this and it's been months old, but Brexit. And what was Brexit about? Brexit was about Britain not wanting to any longer be a part of the European Union. And some of those people who, want, who had Brexit, Brexit and had Britain exit from this union looked at the presidential race here in the United States and said, we see the same things going on in the United States as we felt in Britain. And again, I bring this to your attention because there are two great global movements. One is what we would call globalism, which wants to make a one world government. But there are a lot of countries who are not comfortable with that and want their own autonomy and not to be subsumed under some great big umbrella. And in fact, that's what's going on in our own country. Some in our country, some of our politicians want to be globalists and others say, no, 
I want the United States to stand on its own alone from the rest of the world. I'm not interested in it being part of it. Then we have a reoccurring problem that some of you hopefully aren't part of. Debt, right? A lot of you hopefully aren't part of the great debt problem. You're all out of debt. You have no debts. You're in really good, comfortable financial situation. Yet student debt in this country exceeds credit card debt. You think, really? With all the people who are buying things with credit cards, students have more debt than credit card people? Yeah, student debt is marching into the trillions. And I happened to have a conversation with some Seventh-day Adventist friends a few weeks back, and we talked about this, and they were saying, yeah, their daughter has a student loan, and guess how long the term of that student loan is? That is, the years it will take to pay it off. 30 years. Can you imagine having to pay a student debt over $300 a month for the next 30 years? I mean, that's car payments don't go that long. It's hard to even get a house payment that goes 30 years long. And now you have students who are saddled with debt for the next 30 years. This is crazy times that we're living in but maybe not any more crazy than weird science. Um, big data. Are you familiar with how everybody wants to get everything on, every information about everyone in the whole world and put it on computers and make these giant big data computers? There is sometimes a problem with that because you can put big data together and come to some very strange conclusions. Do you know that there is a positive correlation, meaning it goes up and it goes down together in parallel between drownings and ice cream eating? Really? Ice cream eating and drownings go perfectly, they rise together and they go down together. And so you'd have to figure out, do we need to stop eating ice cream to stop drowning, or does drowning stop eating ice cream? It is that kind of bizarre. But what you need to understand is the context. Why would there be? See, if you don't look at context, and the same thing with the Bible, if you take a couple of verses out of context, you can come to some very strange conclusions. And so context becomes very important. So what's the context for ice cream eating and drownings? Summertime. Summertime. Yeah. In the summer, more people swim, therefore there are more drownings. And in summertime, people tend to eat more ice cream. So the ice cream and the drownings follow because they're following the seasons, not because ice cream makes people drown more or drowning people want to eat ice cream more. I mean, it's, you, know, you have to look at those contexts in which that is in. And continuing with weird science, out of some very prestigious universities in England comes this scientific study. 
that women age more quickly because of pregnancy, but that's not at all. Women become pregnant because they come in contact with the essence of a man. So women need to stay away from men because their essence, whatever that essence is that men have, cause women to want to get pregnant, and because they get pregnant, they get older faster. <laughs> and you wonder, wait a minute, statistics tell us that women live two years longer than men. Maybe pregnancy makes men get older faster. So science is weird. So we have weird science in these last days. Can you depend upon science to give you the answers to life's deepest questions? No. So, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. And we're going to verse 12. So Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repair of the breach, the restore of paths to dwell in. Now, it should be obvious to us that this is a prophecy. So God is telling Isaiah that there's going to come a day when a people shall arise to build the old waste places, they shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and they will be called the repair of the breach. So what is the context of this verse? It is found in the following verse. If thou turn away thy foot from the what? From the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, thou shalt delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and fill thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. So this repair of the breach has something to do with the Sabbath. I want to read from early writings, and I'm going to go to page 42. The title of it is The Open and Shut Door. Donna, in a sense, referred to this when she had the children's story, or at least another vision like it. 
It's a, a couple of pages, but they're small pages, and I want you to listen very carefully with me and to think about what are the prominent things that the Lord gave Ellen. Sabbath, March 24th, 1849, we had a sweet and very interesting meeting with the brethren at Topsom, Maine. The Holy Ghost was poured out upon us and I was taken off in the spirit to the city of the living God. Then I was shown that the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus relating to the shut door could not be separated and that the time for the commandments of God to shine out with all their importance and for God's people to be tried on the Sabbath truth was when the door was opened in the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary where the ark is in which is contained the Ten Commandments. This door was not opened until the mediation of Jesus was finished in the holy place of the sanctuary in 1844. Then Jesus rose up and shut the door of the holy place and opened the door into the most holy and passed within the second veil where he now stands by the ark and where the faith of Israel now reaches. I saw that Jesus had shut the door of the holy place and no man can open it, and that he had opened the door into the most holy and no man can shut it, and that Jesus has since opened the door into the most holy place, which contains the ark, the commandments have been shining out to God's people and they are being tested on the Sabbath question. I saw that the present test on the Sabbath could not come until the mediation of Jesus in the holy place was finished and he had passed within the veil, second veil. Therefore, Christians who fell asleep before the door was opened into the most holy, when the midnight cry was finished in the seventh, seventh month of 1844 and who had not kept the true Sabbath, now rest in hope for they had not the light on the test on the Sabbath, which we now have since that door was opened. I saw that Satan was tempting some of God's people on this point because so many good Christians have fallen asleep in the triumphs of faith and have not kept the true Sabbath. They were doubting about its being a test for us now. I'm going to skip a few of these pages to page 254, where she gives a little bit more explanation about this very thing. As the ministration of Jesus closed in the holy place, and he passed into the most, into the holiest, and stood before the ark containing the law of God, he sent another mighty angel with a third message to the world. A parchment was placed in the angel's hand, and as he descended to the earth in power and majesty, he proclaimed a fearful warning with the most terrible threatening ever born to man. This message was designed to put the children of God upon their guard by showing them the hour of temptation and anguish that was before them. Said the angel, they will be brought into close combat with the beast and his image. Their only hope of eternal life is to remain steadfast. 
Although their lives are at stake, they must hold fast the truth. The third angel closes his message thus, here is the patience of the saints, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. As he repeated these words, he pointed to the heavenly sanctuary. The minds of all who embrace this message are directed to the most holy place where Jesus stands before the ark, making his final intercession for all those for whom mercy still lingers and for those who have ignorantly broken the law of God. This atonement is made for the righteous dead as well as for the righteous living. It includes all who died trusting in Christ, but who, not having received the light upon God's commandments, had sinned ignorantly in transgressing its precepts. There is a little bit more to both sections, but what she ends in these two sections with is talking about how the people of God looked at prophecy being fulfilled in their own lives, like the midnight cry, like the 2300 days coming to an end, like the giving of the first angel's message and the second angel's message. And why she's repeating that is she's saying, God has put all these way marks for you to understand that you are on what Pastor Murray said last week, this path. There is a path of righteousness upon which God's holy people are walking, and there are these fulfillments of prophecy that mark that way for what reason? So that you have confidence that you are on the right path. They're like signposts, just like on highways, letting you know if you've got a destination, you're going to Portland. Well, all these signs along the way tell you how many more miles you're on this way. And so these fulfillments of, prophet, of prophecy are to let God's people know this is the path and you are on it and you are on it correctly because you can follow all these signposts. So that's the vision of uniting the Sabbath with the what? With the sanctuary. That's why I call the title of this sermon, The Sabbath and the Sanctuary. Now, when did she, we'll see how well you're listening, when did she receive this vision? Yes, 1849. Yeah. I know that you were thinking 18 when you said 19. I know how that goes. Yes, we get confused. So it's 1849, and it's on March. March 1849. What you want to know, a little background behind it, okay? Ellen White and James White and some of those others who began keeping the Sabbath, where did they get that idea from? They got it from Joseph Bates. Joseph Bates was a retired sea captain who was very much involved in the Advent movement of the 1830s and 40s. He was prominent in that. And he, with the whites and others, were part of this Advent movement. And what was the Advent movement about? The second coming of Jesus. And what was pushing this idea 
was that they had been studying the books of Daniel and Revelation, and in particular the book of Daniel, where the prophecy said the sanctuary would be cleansed at the end of the 2,300 years. And they had calculated and found when the 2,300 years began and calculated that it must be happening around 1843 or 1844. So based on this prophecy of the cleansing of the sanctuary, there was this huge group of people around the world who called themselves Adventists, meaning Advent coming, Christ's coming. And so they already understood something about the sanctuary, though their information was incorrect. There was this understanding of the sanctuary. Well, in, and that disappointment happened in October 1844. Within about a year and a half, Joseph Bates runs into this lady who is a Seventh-day Baptist. And she convinces Joseph Bates that the Sabbath is the correct day. So now Joseph is going around trying to get all these other Adventists who are Sunday keepers to start keeping the seventh day. And Ellen has, as we already heard, began to get visions shortly after 1844 where God was trying to direct his people and eventually, in 1846, Joseph Bates and the Whites and a few others who are traveling with the Whites because they're taking Ellen to all these other Adventists sharing the visions that God had given her to try to strengthen these Adventists who had been greatly disappointed. And she meets, they meet Joseph Bates. And Joseph Bates listens to this testimony of Jesus, and he says, oh, I do hope that all she says is true. I'm just not sure. And he tells the whites all about the Sabbath, and the whites say, wow, that's really interesting, but I'm not sure. So you have two very powerful truths meeting and each side isn't quite sure if the other is correct. But by 1848, the whites are into Sabbath keeping. Joseph Bates is into believing that, White, that Ellen White really is having these visions. And they start what they call the Sabbath conferences. So from 1848 to 1850, there are conferences where whites and other Seventh-day Adventists are going to Sunday-keeping Adventists trying to convince them of Sabbath-keeping. And in the middle, like 1848 to 1850, but she gets this vision in 1849. So in the middle, she gets this vision. And what did that vision, how do we understand what was going on in that vision? What did she see? I guess I need to give you all microphones or more courage because you're mumbling. So I guess you're not sure about your answers and you want to be protected and you're hoping that if I catch the right word, then I'll give you. Okay. What, what was happening there 
was that she, in this vision, Jesus is connecting Sabbath-keeping with what? His ministry in the most holy place. That's the important thing that comes out of that vision. The commandments, the law of God is important, the Sabbath is very important, and Sabbath-keeping is connected to what Jesus is doing in the most holy place. That is one of the essential things that God was giving. Because already these people believe. So what God is telling them, yes, my people, you are on the right track. The sanctuary in heaven with Jesus in the most holy is really important to you. And Sabbath keeping is right. And that's really important to you. So the vision was to confirm that they were on the right track. It is like what did we just say? A fulfillment of prophecies letting the people know that they're on the right track. And so now Jesus gives a vision to do that very same thing. Yes, prophetic fulfillment is correct. You're on the right track. And Sabbath keeping and Jesus' ministry is important. So we said, what things stand out in the vision? One is the Sabbath. One is the, holy, the most holy in the heavenly sanctuary. What are some other things that you might remember that was in that vision? Okay, now that I silenced you because you're saying, no, I don't want Alan to embarrass me. Okay, we'll go on with this. Remember she said the testimony of Jesus. So she mentioned that phrase, the testimony of Jesus. She also mentioned the open and shut door, and she mentioned that prophecies were being fulfilled. So where do we get, and a lot of people have problems with Ellen White uh, because these are visions. And Ellen says about her visions that she is a lesser light shining upon the greater light. So her writings, like early writings, are a lesser light, and they're shining on what? The Bible, which is the greater light. So what she, should, what she is saying should be also found in the Bible. Do we find something about a shut door and an open door in the Bible? Yes, in Revelation. And where in Revelation? Okay. So we got that. It's in Revelation chapter 3. So you want to go to Revelation chapter 3. And in Revelation chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 7 and 8. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that what? Openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee a open door, and no man can shut it. 
for thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. So the whole idea of her vision seeing an open door, shut door, Jesus doing this, who is speaking in Revelation 3, 7, and 8? Christ is speaking, especially if you have that red letter edition, you know Jesus is saying this, and so it's no different what he's saying here than what is in the vision he gives Ellen. There is a shutting of the door in the most whole, in the holy place and opening the door in the most holy place, and it is about the Philadelphia church. If we look at the sequence of the churches, the Sardis church represents the church of the Reformation. So the Philadelphia church has to come after the Reformation. So even in the sequencing of the churches, what you find is everything is falling into its proper place. But the testimony of Jesus, where do you find the testimony of Jesus in the Bible? That phrase. Revelation. Nope. Nope. Well, at least we're getting bolder to mention all these verses. If we keep going, we could probably get every chapter in Revelation. It's Revelation 12, and it's verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So who's this remnant that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus? This has got to be the remnant of the church. Now some of you who are into sewing understand that the remnant of a bolt of cloth is where? At the end. Okay. So this is the last days of the church. That's what this passage is speaking of. The remnant of the church, the remnant of the woman, the woman is the church, the remnant of the woman, the last day church is going to keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Is that not what Jesus told Ellen in her vision? Yes. But it's more because we have a definition in the Bible that tells us what the testimony of Jesus is. Where is that definition found? Yes, somebody's getting bolder back there. So we go to Revelation 19, and we go to verse 10, and it says in Revelation 19:10, and I, that is John, fell at his feet, that's the feet of the angel, to worship him, and the angel said unto him, see thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the, what? Testimony, Testimony of Jesus, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the, is the spirit of prophecy. Have we gone around in the circle now? Because what is Ellen White being given? Prophetic insight. And, and Jesus is telling her, I am about to give you prophetic insight, Ellen, for the church. So that you know what? that you're doing the right thing and you're on the right path. Because prophecy are the sign points for God's people that they are on the right path. If you are walking in fulfillment of prophecy, you know that you're in the right place. Yes. 
doing the right thing, going in the right direction. Well, it says prophecies being fulfilled. Sound check. I don't know. It sounded like I was saying things pretty good. He wants me to try again. One, two, yeah, start over. Yeah, we should start this whole thing over. That's what we want to do. I'm not moving that far away, so I'll stay right here. Okay. So we should have confidence that this Sabbath keeping has to do with the fulfillment of prophecy, that it has to do with the remnant who are God's last day people. But there's also something about last day, God's last day people who keep the commandments of God, but they have to have something else. And where is that found? I want you to turn to Revelation 14. So you go back to Revelation 14, and you go to verse 12. And here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God, and what? And the faith of Jesus. So this remnant not only has to keep the commandments of God, which of course is Sabbath keeping, and they have to understand the spirit of prophecy in order to make sure that they continue on the right path, but they have to have the faith of Jesus. And where are they going to get that? And where is he? He's in the most holy place, which is the sanctuary, and the Sabbath and the sanctuary begin to be intimately tied together. So that Sabbath keeping should lead you to look to Jesus in the most holy, and looking to Jesus in the most holy should lead you to Sabbath keeping, and better Sabbath keeping, and stronger Sabbath keeping will make you again, because it's part of the law of God, to look to Jesus to find strength to keep the Sabbath and the law of God, and you're now in a continuous loop. Sabbath keeping, looking to Jesus. Jesus, Sabbath keeping, Sabbath keeping, looking to Jesus, because why? What did we get in the signs of the times? This world is crazy. How are you going to make it through this crazy world? By Sabbath keeping and looking to Jesus in the most holy, where you, your strength, your faith is strengthened. And it's a continuous loop that Jesus is saying, I know what the future is. I'm giving you these prophecies. And to make it to the end... You have to be part of this loop. Sabbath keeping and keeping your eyes on Jesus. Again and again and again. And this separates us from every 
other Sabbath-keeping denomination on the earth. Now, many Sabbath keepers, like the one who talked to Joseph Bates, keep Sabbath because they find in the Ten Commandments, where it's listed in Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11, that you should keep the Sabbath because why? I am the Lord that created the heavens and the earth. So many Sabbath keepers keep the Sabbath because they're acknowledging God as their creator, which they ought to do. And many other Sabbath keepers may also know that in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where the Ten Commandments are rehearsed again, the Fourth Commandment doesn't say you should keep the Sabbath because of creation. It says you should keep the Sabbath because I am your Redeemer and Savior. So for two reasons in the Bible, many Sabbath keepers are keeping it because they're honoring God as Creator and they're honoring God as Redeemer. But Seventh-day Adventists are different. You need to go to Exodus chapter 31. So open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 31. And we're going to verse 13. Exodus chapter 31, verse 13. Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. And interestingly, if you went to Ezekiel chapter 20, so I ask you to turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 20. And we go to verse 12. God is talking and he's saying in Ezekiel 20, verse 12, more also I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. I am pretty sure that Seventh-day Baptists don't understand this, that Seventh-day Congregationalists don't understand this, that Seventh-day Charismatics don't understand this, and that Seventh-day Evangelicals don't understand that, and there are Seventh-day groups in all of them. But you cannot understand this passage in Exodus and Ezekiel without understanding the sanctuary. And no other denomination on this planet teaches the sanctuary doctrine that Jesus is in the most holy place working to separate you from your sin. That's what sanctification is about. Separating you for a holy purpose. 
And you won't understand sanctification as Sabbath keeping unless you understand Jesus is in the most holy, doing this very work through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring about a separation of you from sin. That's why the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the remnant and has been called into existence to give the three angels' messages of Revelation 14 to the world. Turn with me then quickly to Revelation chapter 10. I hope you don't mind that this has become a Bible study. So we're in Revelation chapter 10, and we go to verse 11. And this he that's in verse 11 is Jesus, and the me is John. And Jesus said unto John, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. This verse is a reference to the remnant who went through a bitter disappointment, because that's what Revelation 10 talks about, a bitter disappointment. And after this bitter disappointment, these people will need to prophesy again before all peoples, and the prophetic word they give is the three angels' messages of 14 and the loud cry of the message of 18. But in order to do this, they must understand what Jesus is doing in heaven now, separating you from your sins that you may have the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim with a loud voice and to be his true witnesses. Heavenly Father, it has been good for us to be here today to celebrate and to honor you on your Sabbath day. But we do pray, Father, that you will continue to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus until he comes again, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.